Well, once again, uh, please have your Bibles ready. We'll be zipping around a few of our New Testament texts that are familiar when we talk about God, the Holy Spirit. Probably the most controversial of the identities of our triune God, the most misunderstood and least used or appropriately used doctrines in our churches today. That is the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity. In the Old Testament, uh, kind of my, uh, my recollection is that when we talk about the Holy Spirit or we see the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament, we think of God's power and God's presence for specific purpose. In the New Testament, uh, much more the third person of the Holy uh, of the Trinity being the Holy Spirit. Lots of very uh, different theological beliefs within the Christian Church on the Spirit of God. Before we go on, a clarification. Uh, we often hear the term the Holy Ghost, and I'm here to say to you that there's no difference between the Holy Ghost and the Holy Spirit. Uh, the Holy Ghost is familiar to some of our older members of the congregation because it appears in older translations of the English, uh, translations of the original into English. That doesn't mean uh, when we don't preach about uh, the Holy Ghost uh, that we're not preaching about the third person of the Trinity. We most definitely are. Uh, in that original Hebrew uh, and before that Greek, uh, sorry, um, the Greek that was translated from Hebrew, we get the actual meaning of wind or spirit. You can't see it, but you're very aware of its reality. And so uh, the understanding of the Spirit of God being the third person of the Trinity, an identity of God, that we, uh, as God himself, we can't see, but brings the evidence of God into reality for us. And, and we'll see how that tracks as we progress this morning. People have formed a whole lot of different opinions over the years about the Holy Spirit and how the Spirit fits into the Godhead. It's broken up families even because of misrepresented doctrine or overstated doctrine. And today we want to look at the very basics of what we believe as Christians. So as I've stated every time uh, the previous two weeks when we've spoken about the Father, when we spoke about Jesus, and today when we speak about the Trinity, uh, the Holy Spirit as part of the Trinity, what I share is not exhaustive. It's not the whole story. Definitely not comprehensive. But I want to stay on, um, I explained it earlier to someone this morning as the larger piece of the pie that is the Holy Spirit. I want to suggest four basic functions of the Spirit or the works of the Spirit. These are spiritual functions of God attributed to the Holy Spirit as the third person of the Trinity. So to begin with, the Holy Spirit is the one who convicts. He convicts of sin, of righteousness and of judgment. Interesting how the NIV puts it, he will prove the world to be wrong. 
in John 16, 8. Uh, Jesus is telling his disciples that this is the first priority of the Holy Spirit. And he, when he comes, will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. And let me give you an example. Before uh, Bible college or pastoring for me, uh, I was a control wardsman, one of, one of the several jobs that I had. I was a, a control wardsman at Prince Charles Hospital, north side of Brisbane on Rody Road. Uh, one of my roles as a control wardsman, uh, being in the bubble, but uh, in uh, late afternoon and night shift, I had to assist in theatre or post-op as was required for patient support. And I recall a conversation in the lift after a call that uh, required that we get there very quickly. We're heading up in the lift and a colleague said something to me a bit like this. What is it about you anyway? Uh, maybe someone said that to you. But this is what he said. What is it about you? I can't swear. I can't tell dirties around you. It's like you're some kind of priest. I just can't do those things. You know, once the Spirit convicts, the evidence is all around us. We can see the Spirit at work all around us. And some, uh, for some, you're thinking, yeah, from time to time. Well, it's all the time. And the challenge for us is to understand how the Spirit works. At another time, the same guy asked, so what is your religion? Why are you so different? And of course, I won't go into the details of how I answered that, but I was able to say, the difference is I believe in Jesus. I don't believe in God in the way that many people talk about, I believe in God. I believe in the Trinity, of which Jesus is central and Jenny so beautifully led us as we came and prepared for communion. Maybe you've noticed some people are affected by conviction and will open up in conversation if you let them. There are others who will treat it with anger or ignorance. And as I said last week, that's okay, because God will manage that. We don't need to. The truth is, for me, that I've experienced how the Spirit of God convicts people on a pretty broad scale, which is mostly with very good outcomes. The Holy Spirit convicts us or makes it known to us our need for Jesus as Saviour. Then we have the second work of the Spirit, which is that the Holy Spirit indwells, lives inside. Once saved, then we are indwelt. Every Christian that's ever lived or who will ever live has the whole of the Holy Spirit within them. Sometimes explained to children as God lives in your heart, His Spirit is put in our hearts. The presence of the Spirit in the Christian life is the assurance or the seal of God that will bring the believer into the fullness of Christ. In 2 Corinthians and particularly in verse 22, we're given this promise concerning the Holy Spirit. Now he who establishes us makes us firm in Christ and anointed us in God 
who also sealed us, gave us the spirit in our hearts as a pledge. We're secured permanently by the Holy Spirit's seal and guaranteed for life. You know, you uh, go into a shop, you want to buy that product that says guaranteed for life, yeah? And you can't. But when God says guaranteed for life, hey, you can. The seal of the Spirit is a seal for eternity. And what Paul is saying is that the gift of the Holy Spirit is part of God's overall plan. And the pledge that he will indwell every single Christian for the guarantee of things to come for all time, sealed for our present, our future, sealed for our life, including our empowering for ministry, guidance and counsel and the application of knowledge. His indwelling is our security, our authenticity and our authority and our entry into understanding who God is. The Spirit leads us into understanding and don't we need it? Because we live in a confusing life as people. So we need some help and God doesn't leave us hanging. I want to be honest here. This is our theological understanding, yeah? You can nod. This is our theological understanding. But our life understanding sometimes doesn't measure up to what we hear and know that the Bible teaches us. I want to say that's because I and my thinking gets in the way of what is truth and life. But I'll explain that a bit more as we push on. The issue clearly for me is that as a believer, it's not that I don't have the Holy Spirit. And for you, it's not that you don't have the Holy Spirit if you're a Christian. It's that the Holy Spirit doesn't have you as much as you are enabled to allow him to. Here's a ripper. Not just take up residence, but also inspires. He inspired the writers to pen the scriptures, yeah? Through inspiration, he guided each word that we read in the Bible. He still inspires people today. He prods, he nudges, he pushes the heart and the mind to know right and wrong and to always do good. The Holy Spirit's work is to press on us to do good. It is the Holy Spirit that encourages us when we're down, motivates us when we want to give in. He stimulates us to do the right even when it's hard. And in Acts 11, 11, Peter is inspired by the Spirit to minister to others who'd been inspired to seek him out. Ever been in that situation where someone has come to you or been in your presence or you think, uh, coincidence, never a coincidence, yeah? Never. Or, but somebody is in your presence and they say something and you think, actually, I know something about that. 
the Spirit of God inspires us to apply knowledge and understanding and to be able to help others to grow as we grow. And my experience is if I'm ever in a position where I'm able to help another to grow, that is an amazing experience for me. I grow when I see others growing. Isn't that beautiful? The Spirit of God inspires us to have no hesitation when the opportunity is presented. And you know that's true. (laughs) If you're a Christian, you know that's true. That the Spirit of God brings to us opportunities and you go, oh, yeah, uh, uh, but I haven't got time. (laughs) Inspires us to never be hesitant. God's Spirit works through us and around us, inspiring so many opportunities. You can think of this ministry of the Holy Spirit like this. And uh, I just want to put it out there because I believe this emphatically. The Father sent Jesus. I believe that. The Father sent Jesus. Jesus sent the Spirit. We heard that in our illustration this morning in the kids' talk. The Father sent Jesus. Jesus sent the Spirit. Guess who the Spirit sends? Come on, yell it out. It's I or me. And it's okay to say us. The Father sent the Son. The Son sends the Spirit. The Spirit sends us. And also indwells, inspires, and I want to say he enables. Every Christian. He enables the believer to understand and discern truth from error. He enables you to understand scripture. He enables you to serve with the gifts and talents that you're given. He enlightens and empowers the believer to live a life that is totally set apart from the crowd. We are enabled to be different from the world. In 1 Corinthians 12, starting at verse 4, there are different kinds of gifts, but the same spirit. Now, you've seen that so many times, but I want you to see what's underlined there. The same Spirit distributes the gifts. There are different kinds of gifts, different kinds of service, but it's the same Lord working in Trinitarian unity. There are different kinds of working, but in all of them and in every one, it's the same triune God at work, the Spirit and God linked right there. You can see it. And now the purpose. To each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. There's a purpose. It is for the common good. And we see power of enabling shared according to who we are. Uh, Different gifts for different people. To one, there's given through the Spirit a message of wisdom. To another, a message of knowledge by means of the same Spirit. To another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, gifts of healing by that one same Spirit to another miraculous powers, to another prophecy, to another distinguishing between spirits. And Paul tells us that to each one is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. When the Spirit enables, it'll never be contrary to the glory of God or the blessing of others. The Holy Spirit inspires and enables all Christians to do amazing things and bless others in amazing ways. It is the purpose of God 
that we would be a blessing to God and a blessing to others. Amen? We glorify God and we bless every Christian so as to be a blessing to others. So the blessing of God to the world is because the Spirit has sent the Christians, the believers, into the world. Does that make sense or not? It's so, so perfectly patterned. God knows what he's doing and when God is at work, he is at work for the common good. Always tuned to the person God made us to be. In our Genesis series, uh, I hope it wasn't too ad nauseum, but I was very, very, or wanting to be very, very clear that God made man for relationship, for the purpose of relationship with God and with others, true? And now, through the Spirit, we are enabled to have relationship with others that actually do the God thing together. It's beautiful how we are pressed together for perfect good. And so we are blessed to be a blessing. The work of the Spirit should lead to a holy life. It should make a difference in our life. And upon conversion, we receive that Holy Spirit and we are made new. Totally believe it, a new creation with the Holy Spirit indwelling, which brings with it the nature of God. So we inherit the DNA of a perfect God and abled to do good and to have influence in the world that's transformational. We are set apart, different, enabled and inspired to serve as God intends. It doesn't change who we are. When God's spirit comes into our life, we do change. But we still have personhood because God made us. That can't be wrong. Whatever he created us to be is right. We've been in some way through sin tainted and God therefore is in a restoration process with us. But we have the same character, we retain our personality and we have the same emotions and nature. This is God's work. However, since we now have the Spirit, and I explained this a little bit last week, so we won't go into detail, but I talked about the first Adam. That's creation. God created Adam and Eve, able to live in a beautiful relationship with God, and then tainted by sin, and then Jesus coming to the world as the second Adam, yet without sin, and remaining in beautiful relationship with the Father, so if we kind of consider that we're not yet fully like Jesus, but in a state of becoming like Jesus, it helps us understand why it's difficult to always do the things that we want to do to please God. We are tainted. And so therefore, we won't always uh, mechanically or robotically do the things that in our heart of hearts we want to do because the flesh is fighting against the spirit. I think Paul describes this pretty well in Romans chapter 8. The spirit brings to each Christian the precious gift of conviction. That is to know what is right pretty much all the time. We don't actually have an issue 
when we're mature in Christ, we don't have an issue with knowledge of what's right or wrong. Our parents do a really good job at teaching us as well. But when the Spirit of God comes into our life, we have this basic understanding of what's right and wrong. The Spirit of God does this from within, but we have a struggle with our sin nature. And in this passage in Romans 8, Paul uses the word flesh. What Paul's referring to is not so much the fleshy sexual sins or a cop-out for how we may be choosing to live, but as a state of being. Now, you've got to think this through, uh, which is that we are kind of there, that is, we're sealed and guaranteed, we looked at that theologically a moment ago, with the fullness of God, but we remain in the flesh. Or as I kind of like to say, we're there, but we're not fully there yet. Now, that's a hard thing to understand, but we have all that God has to give us. There's no more that he can give us because he's given us his seal and guarantee. But within living in the flesh, while we're still in this part of our life, uh, remaining human and in the flesh, before we pass to new life or the Lord comes, the second coming, and we are taken to be with him, before that part or phase of our life, we remain in the flesh. And it's a struggle. But in this state of being, we are there, but not yet, not fully. Paul uses this word flesh to describe that weaker element in our human nature that yields to sin. Because of the indwelling spirit, we are convicted and we know what's right, but we choose the other. And that's our flesh resisting what's right. So frustrating sometimes. Yeah? Is it or not? Frustrating for me. This is the flesh mindset that's dominated by the uh, strong lure of self-need. I've been known to state, and uh, you can't quote me, it's not, it's not um, I think it's a construct of Scripture. You won't find the chapter and verse. But I want to say the root of all evil is selfishness. Right? Not money. <laughs> The root of all evil is selfishness. A driven desire to have life my way or a selfish, self-satisfying desire. The I, the me, the mine, the do what feels good. If it feels good, do it mindset. It's selfish in its outlook. Everything is centred on self and how you can satisfy you. Some people can even do the service of God with self-seeking mind. Verse 7 says that no matter how hard you try to please God while you're acting in the flesh, you can't do it. When your minds are controlled by the flesh, you cannot please God. That's strong, isn't it? Because your mind will direct your body. It's impossible. Or 
you can choose to listen to the Spirit. And I want to put it this way. Uh, We can live our life selfishly or we can choose to submit to the fatherhood of God and the sonship of God and the spirit leading of God. But that's a choice. Look at verses 10 and 11. I reckon it's got to be inspiring to see that this is made clear in the Bible. The spirit gives life. And just as Jesus lived, you and I can also live. There's the work of the Spirit, to give us life, to lead us into life and to show us how to live. You as a believer are empowered to live a godly life. Think of it like this. Uh, I can run down the road and get a gym membership. And uh, if, if I've had it for a long time, maybe they'll say, here's a life membership. You know, some of you might be hoping for a a life membership with the Cowboys so you can use their gym. They've got a great gym. You can have a gym membership that's guaranteed for life, but if you don't go to the gym, not going to change your life, is it? You can have a gym membership anywhere, seven days. If you don't go, it makes no difference in your body. Having the membership won't actually guarantee the change. That's a hedonistic thinking right there. The muscle memory comes from the practice you put into it. The muscle memory comes from using the equipment in the gym. Romans 8, verse 12, Paul tells us that we are to live by the Spirit, to train our body, our mind and our spirit to trust God, to go and use what God has given us, to discipline ourselves, to be living the way that God intends us to live. Verse 12, therefore, brothers and sisters, we have an obligation and it's not to the flesh. We're not to live according to the flesh because if you live according to the flesh, you're going to die. But if you're if you, by the spirit, if we choose to live by the spirit, you put to death the misdeeds of the body and you will live. For those who are led by the spirit of God are the children of God. Without his spirit, we are fleshly physical lives and that's all we've got but as Christians we are so different from that our minds are so able to listen to what's right and take action upon it I love that we can learn from the Bible and this is our theology with his spirit living in you you are no longer entrapped by the flesh praise God say praise God Praise God. It's amazing. Here's the big takeaway. Here's my um, massive tip for this week. In very practical terms, when you think of the Spirit, the more I submit to God, 
which is less of my own way and desiring more of God's way, the more God is enabled to place me in this world to make a difference for him. The more I submit, the more I am empowered. Praise God. The more I submit, the more I live. And that's not submitting to the boss like a work environment. That's submitting to the Lord, the creator, which isn't really a work. It's a privilege, isn't it? It's a life choice. Listen to Galatians chapter 5, and this will be really helpful for all of us to see how Paul summarizes the work of the Spirit. So he says, walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Pretty simple there, right? Isn't it? For the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit and the Spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They're in conflict with each other so that you're not to do whatever you want, but if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness and self-control. Against those things, there is no law. This is living. Those who belong to Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Here's a left field question. Can the smell of fresh bread spur you to compassion? Very loaded question, right? Um, can the smell of fresh bread give you gentleness, self-control, make you nice? Well, I'm just going to say I love the smell of fresh bread. Uh, but this is what this is about. It's pretty funny. Researchers found that shoppers were more likely to alert a passerby that they dropped something as they were walking if they were passing near a bakery. Wow, so weird. But when giving off that aroma changed the stimulus of people who were walking in and around. Here's their findings published in the Journal of Social Psychology. Certain smells trigger a positive mood that leads to a greater degree of do-good attitude or an increased concern for the welfare of others. So they had these volunteers pretending to be looking for something in their bags and uh, stepping in front of a passing shopper. And as they uh, walked a few metres in front of the shopper, they would let something drop. Uh, masks, handkerchiefs, packet of tissues, maybe a dollar note. Uh, two observers stood about 20 metres away and recorded all of this. So they had about 400 of these incidents, 400 recordings. 77% of passers-by stopped and helped outside of a bakery. All right. Fifty-two percent outside of a clothing store. Their conclusion? The experiment confirms the role of ambient food odours on attitude. Will be, right? 
But here's the application. If standing outside a bakery can trigger our compassion response, and apparently it does, just think what immersing yourself in the ambient influence of the bread of life can bring. It was Jesus who said, I am the bread of life, in John 6, 48. And we all know now that the Spirit brings the person of Jesus close and personal, elevates our understanding. Remember, Jesus sent the Spirit and the Spirit is sending you and I. And this is very, very real. A whole lot of people who live in the Spirit live in the just enough or just about okay or maybe a little zone. You know, um, totally want the heaven thing, uh, but while I'm here, I've got some responsibilities, so I'll take a little bit of the God stuff. Just enough. It'll convince people in my street even that I've got a little bit of the God thing. We'd rather run our own lives than trust God. And Christians have the power of God in their lives pretty miserly in the way that we use it. God's blessed you abundantly and yet we only use a trickle of that power for living. What could your life be like if you gave up living in the flesh and really experienced the fullness of life that the Holy Spirit has designed for you to live? This is the power and the influence or the primary mission work of the Spirit, the third person of the Trinity. You see, it isn't how much of the Spirit you have, it's how much of you do you let the Spirit have. Is your mind set on the flesh or is your mind set on the Spirit? And one way, way that you'll know for sure is ex examining the spirit of your mind. What is the fruit that comes from your life? What is it that you wake up with in the morning and you lie down with at night? If you're focusing on the spirit-controlled mindset, you will produce the fruit of the spirit. It's biblical. It's sealed and it's guaranteed for life. So, do you hear the call to turn your life over to God? Do you hear a sense of reason in your mind and in your spirit right now that maybe you have been taking the Spirit's influence in your life a little for granted and there's room for some submission. That's the voice of the Holy Spirit right there. Don't ignore it. Let's pray. Father, you're a all-powerful, all-present and all-knowing God. And you bring that nature to earth in the person of Jesus who came and lived and died and rose again and sent the Holy Spirit, the very character and nature of God, 
to indwell your people, those who would call you Lord. And so for us as Christians, Lord, we, we say sorry that sometimes we don't allow the enabling of the Spirit to so develop and change us that we can reflect your love in the way that you've intended for us to do. But Lord, we want to surrender. We want to submit. Help us to speak to you, to pray, and also to speak to others and seek help because we want to live as you intended us to, to the glory of Jesus, that we would be a blessing to you and a blessing to others.